Stand with me now for the reading of our text for this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thank you. you may be seated. I need like a hydraulic lift to let lift me up like out of the stage. That would be incredible. Put that in the budget, please. Thank you very much. Uh, let's pray. Father, we need what you have to give us today. And I pray that you would form in us a desire for what we need today, that we would want who you are, that we would want what you have to say, that we would want the changes that come as a result of your Holy Spirit applying this word, these words, to our lives. Teach us and instruct us, and God, help us to do what you've called us to in the power of your Spirit, to the praise of your glorious grace, for the good of others, and for our own good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo-wee. Really neat. I was in the bathroom, and I turned the water on, and water came out. It was pretty cool. Really, really cool. I might just stay here today. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, we actually have hot water in there too. So, not that, I guess this is providence, I guess it's all providence, but when you don't have something, you do kind of start to appreciate it or understand, oh shoot, it's possible that water won't come out of my faucet. Or, and, and so, you start to think, Remember the good old days, right? When life was good and you didn't have to go to the creek to get water to flush it. I've been going to the creek to get water to flush my toilet. We're going to party like it's 1899 tonight, right? The good life, right? The good life is run water. And, and, and now we do. We are very, very, very spoiled in this country. And I'm very thankful for the blessings that God has given us. But a whole lot of what we're going to talk about today is the good life. What, when I say the good life, what do you think? Are you on a beach somewhere with a straw hat on, sipping some tropical drink out of a coconut? Or, I mean, what, what, the good life. What's the good life? Maybe you're just at home with your family and things are good. Maybe you're traveling. Maybe, I, I don't know. But, but we, we go somewhere or somewheres in our head when we think about the good life. 
And I want you to have that kind of etched in your mind because today we're going to talk about some things that I'm telling you. I just need to repent. I just need to change the way that I think. And thereby change the way that I live. Because God has a different perspective than I have. And I want to see things from his point of view. Herb Hodges, I point to Herb because this is Herb the Fox. I'll tell you that story later if you want me to. Um, Herb Hodges always said that vision is the ability to see things from God's perspective. And today, with the good life and other things, I want us to have a change of perspective and to repent and to think, feel, and act differently as a result of what God has for us in his word today. And we'll start with verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So we've been going through First Peter um, a couple months now, I guess. Um, and we've seen in that first glorious part of this letter, God's work of salvation to save his people. And the inheritance that he has stored up in heaven for them. That he's guarding for them and he's guarding them for. And all that he's done to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that first part, glory, hallelujah. You know, it's like, wow. Look at and then after that, we move into specific um, roles, commands for specific groups of people, right? Before last week when we wrapped up Advent and was talking about Christmassy stuff, um, we saw in the weeks prior to that um, some specific calls to subjection and action for citizens, servants, wives, and husbands. And so that's where we've been to catch up to today. And so today, the first word of our passage is finally. And that finally sets the stage for some conclusions from this last section that we looked at about the citizens, the servants, the wives, and the husbands. So Peter jumps to the whole here, addressing, finally, he says, all of you. So citizens was to citizens, which is really everybody, but that's people in a specific role. And then you had servants. Not everybody's a servant. Then you had wives. Not everybody's a wife. Husbands. Not everybody's a husband. Well, here it's all of you. So who's this for? Let's do a little biblical exegesis. Okay? It means all y'all. Right. It's everybody. Everybody. And all of us too. And that's easy exposition, Right? Instead of singling out specific roles or, or specific people, Peter lumps everyone together, all of the church, all of the believers, all the people that he's writing to. And again, 2,000 years later, we're reading the letter, so it's to us too. And what does he call all of them, all of us to do? Well, this is a purposeful list of things with a central point. Okay, this is verse 8. Um, we see five things in a list, and this list is set up in a very familiar biblical pattern called a chiasm. Anybody familiar with chiasms? Um, let, me, let me try to explain this best I can. Okay, So it's kind of like a rhyming scheme, but what happens is you've got a main point, which is going to be your C here. And then you've got mirroring points at the beginning and end, A, the A thoughts, the beginning and the last thought, and then B, 
which is mirroring thoughts right around the main thought, and you got the main thought. So here's, here's why this is important. What happens with a chiasm is that the writer is trying to emphasize the central point. Okay, So here in our, in our list today, it looks like this. So if you look at points A, harmony and humility, okay, uh, a humble mind, unity of mind and a humble mind is how it is listed in, in the scripture. And then sympathy and compassion or sympathy and a tender heart pointing toward brotherly love. So the main point of this verse that we're looking at is brotherly love. And the emphasis on the A points and the B points point to the C point. Does that make sense? Okay. So, and again, there are all kinds of chiasms in the Bible. I mean, all kinds. And let me tell you what, commentators love chiasms. Everything's a chiasm. A whole book is a chiasm. The whole Bible's a chiasm and everything. And I'm going, I don't know about all that. But it was a, it was a literary device that people of that time used to emphasize. So, so what is being emphasized here, and this is, this is why this is so important, is brotherly love. Okay? So this, this verse is set up as a chiasm with brotherly love as the center Unity of mind and humble mind being mirroring thoughts. Um, sympathy and a tender heart being mirroring thoughts pointing toward brotherly love. Now, don't get too caught up in the mechanics. It's not that important, okay? But I just wanted to explain that if you do any kind of commentary reading, you're going to see this word chiasm a lot, okay? What you're looking for with a chiasm is what is the main point, what is everything that's supporting it pointing toward? Because that's, it's like it's holding it up and saying, look at this specifically. Okay? So again, the point of this chiasm is to call all of them to brotherly love. The tip of the spear, so to speak. And then the A's, unity of mind and a humble mind. The B's, sympathy and a tender heart are ways to help accomplish the goal of brotherly love. So the A's, these mirroring thoughts, and the B's, which are mirroring thoughts, point to the goal of brotherly love. Okay? Um, and this structure, as it is, has a purpose and emphasizes something specific, which obviously the writer wants to point out. Um, so again, the point and call here is for all of Peter's recipients to Philadelphos, is the Greek word, brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We've seen this word a couple of times already in past messages, and it literally does mean brotherly love. And it's what Christians, believers, are called to. The New Testament is filled with references and calls for Christians to love, serve, bless, encourage, and on and on and on, the brothers. And remember, brothers means all of us, male and female. We're not excluding the cistern when we say the brethren, okay? The cistern. It all comes back to water, right? The chiasm today is water, 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 water. We are members of the same family, we have the same father, and we share in life together as the adopted children of our father. And while we are here on the earth, we are to love each other as brothers. And how can we do that? Well, those mirroring points of the chiasm help show us. The A's are unity of mind and a humble mind. These two thoughts are similar, they're kind of connected, hence the structure of the chiasm. Brothers live in unity with each other, and you can't have unity without humility. Unity is oneness, and the thought in this word can mean harmony too. I don't know if you all pay attention every week, but when we're singing, some people are singing different notes than other people. That's harmony. 
because it works together. Isolated, that may not sound very good, but when it's all brought together, that's harmony and it forms a single part. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about harmony and unity. And this is the way we're supposed to live together. All together in differing roles to make the many work as one. And to accomplish that, we have to be humble, knowing our importance in the context of the importance of others. There's no one that's not important. And that's true humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less and, and focusing on your part in the whole. True humility is not, oh, I'm, I'm just bad, I'm terrible, I'm a jerk. No, no, no. I recognize my role, I recognize your role, and I see the importance of both, and we're going to do that together. Okay? So in these differing roles, working as one, we have to be humble in order to do that, knowing the importance of every part. The thought behind a humble mind also implies courtesy and kindness as well, showing deference and preference for others more than ourselves. So that's the A's of the chiasm. And then the B's are sympathy and a tender heart. And again, we're pointing to how do we love the brothers. Again, sympathy and a tender heart are similar thoughts causing us, calling us to love the brothers in a specific way. Sympathy is feeling with or for others when they are suffering or grieving. And then a tender heart is compassion. And the word compassion literally means to suffer with someone. And again, you can't truly love the brothers if you don't feel what they feel, especially in their sufferings, and associate with them in these times when they are suffering. So this whole verse 8 is pointing to how we love the brothers, which is the main call of the verse. All of you love the brothers by having unity of mind and a humble mind, showing sympathy and a tender heart. Okay? So that's verse 8. And part of this good life that we're talking about is loving the brothers. Now, does it feel like a good life when somebody's suffering and you sympathize with them? That doesn't feel like the good life, does it? But it is. It's perspective. You can't truly love the brothers. You can't live the good life unless you love the brothers, and you can't love the brothers if you don't feel what they feel, especially in their sufferings, and associate with them in these times. So now verse 9 moves from loving the brothers to, yeah, I wasn't ready for this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, <laughs> first of all, don't forget that Peter is calling all of you to what we're looking at today. Verse 8 was brotherly love. And I think we can say brotherly love. Yeah, that's good. I like that. That, that. that fits into my good life perspective, even if it does mean suffering every now and then with somebody else when they're suffering. But now here in verse 9, he's calling his readers and, and, and calling on them and telling them how to respond when they are mistreated. Now, note that real quick. In addressing all of you, all of us as believers, we see two general places where we are to operate in our passage today. We operate in our relationship with other believers, and we operate in situations where we're mistreated. And that pretty much covers this passage today with Peter's instructions for all y'all. Keep that in mind. That's, that's pretty important. Two situations, when we're loving the brothers and when we're being mistreated. 
So, verse 9, after calling his readers to love the brothers through unified, sympathetic, tender-hearted humility, Peter says rather abruptly, it seems to me, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now, that I don't know about y'all, but he goes from telling everyone to love each other, let's just love each other, to this. Love each other. When people are evil and revile, you don't be like them. It's just kind of weird to me. It's very abrupt. It's like he was talking about a dog and then he started talking about Africa. And you're like, what? what? It's like it's a, a, a really stiff, hard U-turn here, it seems to me. Love each other and when people are mean to you, don't revile them. Don't be like them. But that's where the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to go next. So that's where we'll go, right? We'll go where he goes. So Peter is saying that evil will be done to his readers. I mean, I'm thinking the good life means that nothing evil happens, right? He doesn't say by whom. He just says it matter-of-factly. Evil is defined as base, wrong, wicked, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, destructive, or baneful. And evil is going to happen to these people. And we are these people. God's people. Those that God redeemed and those for whom eternity is going to be glorious. Evil is going to happen to those people. And it's going to be people who do this evil to these people. Same with reviling. And reviling means being spoken against evilly. People are going to do evil against them, against us, and people are going to speak evil things against us, them. And how are they and we to respond according to Peter? He says, don't repay the evil or the reviling in like manner. Now, now just let's just stop there for a second. So when something evil, when somebody does something evil to you, when somebody reviles you, Don't repay them in the same way that they're treating you. Don't do evil to them and don't revile them. I think we're okay there. Okay, all right. Something evil done to you, don't repay it with evil in return. Somebody reviles you, you don't revile them. I bite my tongue. I won't say it. I won't do, I won't burn their house down like I really want to. I've never burned a house down, by the way. Internet world, ever, ever, never. So, even though now would be the time with there being no water, I mean, it would be, no. Never. <laughs> now remember, in the context of First Peter overall, We've been saying that all of these instructions are pressing these believers and us into a counter-cultural lifestyle. The believers are to be different. They're to stand out in the world around them. So then, Peter goes on to say, not only are they to not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, quite the opposite, they are to bless those who do evil to them or revile them. Don't do evil or revile, but instead do a complete 180 degree turn and bless the ones that are doing evil to you or speaking evil against you. Now, now stop a second. 
The last thing I want to do to somebody that's doing or speaking evil of me or to me is to bless them. It's the last thing I want to do. I'm just being honest. I'm just being fleshly here, y'all, up here in the pulpit. The word for bless is eulageo, where we get our word eulogy. We speak a good word about somebody after their passing, right? We want to write all the good stuff about them. And this word in Greek means to praise. To celebrate with praises. To invoke blessings. To consecrate a thing with solemn prayers. To ask God's blessing on a thing. To pray God to bless it to one's use. To pronounce a consecratory blessing on To cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessings on. To ask the favor of God upon. Now wait a second. We're not talking about loving the brothers anymore. That would make really good sense. Bless you brothers. You love me, I love you. Bless you. But that's not what we're talking about here. Peter is saying, this is what we are supposed to do to or for those who do evil to us or revile us. Your brother blesses you, sure, bless him. But someone does or speaks evil of you or to you, bless them? Not bless them out. Ask God's blessing on them? Pray for them? To seek for their happiness or the favor of God in their lives? I mean, come on, Peter. But what's Peter doing here? All he's doing is parroting his Lord. He's repeating what he's heard from his rabbi. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 43 to 47, Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I, the Lord, God in the flesh, say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The IRS does this. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the dogs, don't they do the same? I'm telling you all, this is tough. And there are other places where Jesus said similar things. So Peter's not communicating original ideas, and hopefully none of us are. He simply, Peter is simply carrying out the Great Commission, teaching his disciples to observe all that Jesus had taught and commanded. And you want to talk about standing out, being different, living counterculturally? Bless those who do and speak evil against you. Pray for your murderers on the cross that they're killing you on. Yeah, that's different. And it's Christ-like. And that's what Peter's calling his recipients to. It's what Peter's calling us to. It's what God is commanding of us. It's our mandate. Peter says, For to this you were called. And that's exactly true. 
We have been called to Christ-likeness. We are the body of Christ on the earth in this time period between His ascension into heaven and His return to earth. Our calling is to show Jesus to the world. And that means being like Him when we are mistreated and slandered. Now, do you understand this? We're not here to fight for our rights. But we're Americans. Not first and foremost. We're citizens of a different kingdom. And this kingdom's upside down and backwards and inside out and different than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And in this kingdom, we pray for our persecutors and ask the blessing of God upon those who are doing evil against us and speaking evil against us. We are not those who defend ourselves and preserve our dignity or our pride. Nothing as hellish as pride, by the way. We don't point our fingers and wag and say, you can't do that to me. Or do you know who I am? Instead, we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Why? Because, Peter says, that you may obtain a blessing. So it's not just for the blessing of the people doing or saying the evil, but that includes us being blessed by seeking the blessing of the ones who seek to harm us. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Hmm. It doesn't feel very blessed to bless people that are persecuting us. But God has promised to bless those who suffer for righteousness' sake in His kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount again. Jesus again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because I'm going to vindicate you and they're going to show it on Fox News. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This gets us back to that eternal perspective. Right? A different perspective. The same one that we spoke of when Peter called on us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are looking for a heavenly kingdom. We are seeking an eternal reward. Our good, the return on our investment, is in the age to come. It's not here and now. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I didn't put that up here, um, that in this world you will have trouble. In John 15, he said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And it's almost like Peter heard that and took it to heart and then passed it on to his readers. And he calls on these readers to endure and bless now in order to obtain a blessing later when it really matters. And then watch this, verses 10 to 12. For, starting down there in verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
So our first word here was just at the bottom of, of verse 10, 4. So that's our first word. Which means it's progressing from what we've talked about so far. So love the brothers, bless those who do and speak evil against you, knowing that you were called to this and there's a blessing for doing it for. Because. And then what follows in verses 10 to 12 is a quote from Psalm 34, which Aaron read this morning in our opening. For, and then he says, and this is Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16 that he's quoting. And again, we, I encourage you today, this week, sometime, after we finish this message, go back and read Psalm 34 again. Because it's going to look a lot different to you after we finish today. But Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, and what he's quoting from is Psalm 34, 12 to 16. Let me read that section for you. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So that's the psalm section that Peter is quoting. Okay? So now let me give you the context of Psalm 34. (laughs) This is crazy. So in Psalm 34, David wrote Psalm 34, and if you look at the inscription above it, it says it's when, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll I'll just say, David is on the run from King Saul. His own king, his native king, who's trying to kill him. Because David's popularity is soaring, and Saul's got a demon, and that demon don't like David or his popularity. And so neither does Saul. So David leaves Israel... And he goes to Philistine, to Philistia, to the Philistines. And he settles in Gath of the Philistines. And he's, he's doing all right there. He's doing okay. He's settled in amongst the enemy, basically. But the Philistines are getting nervous about this mighty Hebrew warrior who just happened to have killed their giant and cut off his head. And the people in Israel are singing, Saul is slain as thousands, but David is slain as ten thousands. And the Philistines are going, it's ten thousands of us that he's slain. So they're getting a little nervous about David being there. And so the king is listening to the people and he's like, yeah, this probably is not a good thing. So what does David do to avoid the persecution? He starts acting like a madman, is what the scripture says. We've got it here. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, in the membrane, and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you've brought me this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David is like, he's scratching on the door and slobbering everywhere. And that's the setting for him to write Psalm 34. (laughs) David can't find safety anywhere. His own king is trying to kill him. And now his own king's enemies, whom he had taken shelter with, they don't trust him. And they're telling the king, David needs to get, 
Because they don't feel safe with him there. So what does David do? In order to seek to preserve his life among these Philistines, whom he had fled to in order to try to preserve his life from his native king, just starts acting crazy. Literally scratching on the city gates and slobbering all in his beard. A man with no home, no safety, no dignity, and no good plan. That's the good life, right? So what's he do? He ends up leaving Gath... And in the next chapter it says he goes and hides in a cave in a place called Adullam. And it would appear that in this cave, as he's running for his life with no hope, that he writes Psalm 34. Sitting in a cave, wiping the slobber from his beard. And he quotes this. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Huh. So then Peter back in his letter, has called on the recipients of this letter to know their calling into suffering and to live for the blessing and the reward that will come after that suffering for whoever desires to love life and see good days, says Peter, quoting David. Now keep in mind what Peter has said already and what David was saying and when he was saying it. And I say that because I think we are prone to jump to a certain mindset or conclusion when we see and think about what the phrase love, life, and see good days means. We think of unicorns and rainbows and smiles and pizza and stuff. Maybe that's just me. The point is this. David's slobbering and then hiding in a cave. Or Peter, who has been promised that he'll be crucified doesn't really fit into our expectations of what loving life and seeing good days should look like, does it? (laughs) And yet that's exactly what these two men did. And Peter is talking about absorbing evil and blessing the evildoers in this context. And so, what does it look like to desire to love life and see good days? Because that's what Peter's asking us to explore in this context. (laughs) Crazy Christians. Oh, there we go. 9, 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. So what we're going to see from here are six things to do if we desire to love life and see good days. Okay? Let him keep his tongue from evil. Let him keep his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. Let him do good. Let him seek peace and pursue peace. Again, we may be tempted to think of things like material goods or a comfy retirement or a big family or those pepperonis that curl up when you cook them and get the little grease puddle in them when we talk about good days and love and life. Again, maybe that's just me. But look at what God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing through Peter's hand, says to do in order to love life and see good days. 
you got six things in, in three couplets. Six things in sets of two, three pairs of things. First, keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. Now, church, you want to love life and see good days? Peter starts with your mouth. You think that's significant? You want to love life? You want to see good days? Keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. And let me just say, your social media presence qualifies as your tongue and your lips as well. Looks like a dadgum battle royal on most social media fronts. And it's Christians who are leading the charge. Kids don't say this, but sometimes we just need to shut up. You want to love life and see good days? Control your lips. Control your mouth. Wow. It's not a pina colada. It's a shut up because you auto. I just made that up. I didn't write that down. Thank you. Don't speak evil. Don't speak deceit. You want to love life and see good days? Start right here. That's the first pair. Second pair, turn away from evil and do good. You want to love life and see good days? Turn away from evil and do good. Again, that's not hard to understand, right? I mean, we don't have to do a whole lot of ciphering and figuring out and this word means that. It means turn away from evil and do good. Do good according to God's definition. It's what it says and what it means. And again, note the emphasis here. It's not on things or stuff. It's not about public appeal or approval. It's looking at things from God's perspective. Forsaking the world and its evil and pursuing holiness and doing good. Turn away from evil. Go the other way. Do good. Do the things that are good. Do the things that are right, wholesome and righteous. And if you're going to do those things, you have to turn away from evil. You can't run toward evil and do good. I'm going to go out this door, but I'm going to run this way. It's impossible. You're like, what's evil? Anything contrary to the will of God is evil. So turn away from things that aren't godly and do the things that are godly, that are good. Not things and stuff, but what you do. What you say and what you do. And in order to do these things, you have to turn away from evil. And finally, seek peace and pursue it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Seek peace and pursue it. We've said many times before in First Peter and in other places that peace is not just the absence of conflict, but that peace is a tranquil state of a soul that fears no harm and is content with its earthly lot. Seek that. Pursue that. And not just for yourself, but for all those around you. This is not about you. <laughs> 
This is not about checking off a list and saying, okay, I did all this stuff I'm supposed to do, so I'm good. Seek peace and pursue it for yourself and for all those around you. You want to love life? You want to see good days? Watch your mouth. Turn away from evil and do good things and seek and pursue peace for you and others. That's the biblical way to seek your best life now. To love the life that you're living. And here's the thing. Peter says that there's a reason for this as he continues to quote from the psalm, from Psalm 34. For, he says... The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, see, there's a perspective here that we're maybe tempted not to think about in all of this, and it's God's perspective. Listen. God is seeing everything that is going on. And I think we use that as kind of an ominous, God is watching you. And he sees everything you do. He sees everything you think. He sees down into the deep, dark recesses of your heart. And that's true. But we use it as a negative thing. It's an incredibly positive thing. God is seeing all that's going on. God saw Saul's unjust treatment of David. God saw David in that cave. God saw and foretold to Peter his coming crucifixion. And seeing all these things and even ordering all these things. In doing so, God has his eyes on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And that is no small deal. That's not a consolation prize, a nice box of rice aroni back in the let's make a deal days. It's not, well, God sees it. Okay, that's good, I guess. No, no, no. This is really good news. Wayne Grudem explains uh, his eyes being on us this way. The phrase, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, implies not merely that God sees what the righteous are doing because he sees everything. He says, for that would be no greater privilege um, than experienced by all people, but it means that he is looking after them for good, recognizing and meeting their needs, end of quote. Listen, church. Listen individuals, listen corporate body, listen worldwide church. In the struggling, in the suffering, in the midst of evil being done against and spoken against, God has his eyes on his people all the time and he is looking after them for their good, recognizing and meeting their needs in the midst of it all. It's not as though they are struggling or suffering because God turned around and isn't looking at them at the moment. Kids, you ever punch your sibling when your parents aren't looking? No, who would do such a thing? Try to catch your parents not looking and do something you know you shouldn't do? Because they're not looking, they can't see it. That's not the mentality here. God hasn't closed his eyes. God hasn't turned around. God isn't failing to see what's going on. The evil isn't happening because it's beyond God's sight. God sees it and is looking after those that it's being done against. And he's keeping them. He's even blessing them in the midst of it. 
And Peter says, his, God's ears, are open to their prayer. He is listening as well as seeing. He is hearing their cries for help. The Hebrews cried out to God in their bondage back in the Exodus. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew And it wasn't like God went, oh no, how could I have let this happen? He heard their cries. He had actually told Abraham in the covenant that he made with Abraham, they're going to be sojourners in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. And they're going to come back here and settle. He heard their cries while they were down there in bondage. He remembered his covenant. He saw them and he knew. And this is so perfect for this passage in 1 Peter today. With God hearing the cries of His people, it sets in motion all the good He has planned for them. He is not deaf. He is not inactive. He is not unable. He is seeing. He is listening. And in the midst of it all, He is acting. And it is all for the good of His people. And it's all for His own glory. And Peter says and shows that in our passage today. And it's not just for his people. But, Peter says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His seeing is not just for the good of his people. This is as clear and as important as his eyes being on his people and his ears being open to his people's prayers. Let me tell you this, unbeliever. It is a terrible thing to have the face of the Lord against you. And that's all of us in our natural state. And it's clear here that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He is actively opposing them. He is expressing His displeasure toward them. And ultimately, they will suffer the consequences of opposing Him and His people. They may appear to be advancing or winning here and now, but they are on the wrong side of His story. And that's a fearful and dreadful thing. God Himself is against them, and God cannot and will not lose. He is omnipotent. He is undefeated and undefeatable. And woe to those whom He opposes. And His face is against those who do evil. And that's good news for God's people too. If He just did good to us, that's good. But He does good to us and He's going to punish our enemies. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people that we're wrestling against. We'll get to that in a minute. The powers of evil that are driving these evil people to do evil things and to say evil things will ultimately be defeated because God's face is against that evil. And that's really, really good news. That we can rest in and act because of. So we'll turn our attention to application from all this. Application in which we seek to find out how to live our best life now. And we're looking at four E's. Elect, evil, excellent, and my favorite one, El Roy. And I don't mean by that the Jetsons boy, okay? 
Elect, Evil, Excellent, and Elroy. Elroy is E-L space R-O-I. Elroy, we'll get to that in a second. Just know it has nothing to do with the Jetsons. That's important. Elect, Evil, Excellent, and Elroy. In seeking to live our best life now, in seeking to love life and see good days, first we look at the elect, and we are called to love the brothers. Peter said to all of you to commit to loving each other with brotherly love, having unity of mind with sympathy, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Again, it would do you well, it would do me well, it would do us well to take those four things, unity of mind, sympathy, a tender heart, and a humble mind, pray through those things. Ask God to help incorporate them into your lives, especially towards the brothers. That's what application's all about. What do I do with this information? Pray about these things. Ask God to work these things into your life with the goal of loving the brothers well. You want to love life and see good days? Love these people sitting in this building and the ones that aren't here today. And those who are in Christ that don't meet with us on a consistent basis. How in the world people can say, I can be a Christian and not be in church, is beyond me. How are you going to love the brothers? Which is one of the major callings of your life. Well, I can love them when I'm in the woods. No, you can't. I can love them from home. No, you can't. Because love is not how you're feeling. Love is what you're doing. Love is when you take a small piece of bread because you want to leave some for your brother. Love is going through the meal line back here and saying, I'll just get one piece of pizza because I want to make sure everybody has enough. You can't do that at home. You can't do that in the woods. You can't do that in whatever cathedral you choose to worship at yourself. Because really all you're doing there is worshiping yourself. You're called to love the brothers. And you love people when you share life with them. So let each of you, all of you, love the brothers having unity of mind, sympathy, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Explore in your own thought patterns, in your own prayers, in your own study, what it looks like to have unity of mind, to show sympathy, to have a tender heart, to have a humble mind, and ask God to help you do those things. That's the elect. That's first. Second is evil. Now listen, the call in our passage today, church, believers, followers of Jesus, is to bless evil doers. Especially those that do evil against you and speak evil against you. This is not a... um, I'm not trying to whitewash... Or, or lessen what's being said here. Know this. Yes, we are to hate evil. God hates evil. But we are to seek to bless those who do the evil. Even and especially those that do and speak evil against us personally and corporately. 
Again, those two settings that he said the believers will find themselves in most consistently, loving and serving other believers and being mistreated by people. Don't consider it strange when people treat you evilly. Seek to bless those people. And listen, this is not just a, again, I'll bite my tongue and do the opposite thing that I want to do. This is a mindset. This is a heart attitude. Not an issue of trying to drum up this each and every time it's needed. It is a mindset and a heart attitude that says, I'm going to seek the good of those that do evil against me. Again, you want something to pray? God, make this true in my life. And for Pete's sake, shut your mouth about evil people. Shut it. Stop it! Unless you are pronouncing a blessing on them, shut your mouth. Yes, we decry evil. Yes, we decry the evil of the murder of unborn children. Yes, we decry the evil of the lessening of the truth or the attempted lessening of the truth of what biblical marriage is. We hate that evil. We do not hate those people. We seek to bless them. We seek to build them up and seek the favor of God on their lives. And there is an imperative here for the empowering of God in our lives for us to do this. You can't drum this up. Unless the same spirit of the one who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Unless that same spirit resides and acts through you, you cannot do this. You will not do this. It will be fake and superficial. You'll be a liar and a hypocrite. It has to be the very power of God, the same one that cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The same one that cried out through Stephen, don't hold this against them. Bless them, Lord. Draw them to yourself. They need you. Ask the God who is offended every day by evil and yet graciously invites evildoers into his kingdom. Ask him to help you do the same thing. That's what we do with evil. Elect, evil, excellent. This, again, is kind of the main point. How we are to love life and see good days. Everything we've looked at today, this passage today, that is the good life. And again, if you just read it, you're like, no, that's not, no, no, that's not the good life. That doesn't check any of my boxes. Thank you very much. We've got to repent. We've got to change our minds about what loving life and seeing good days looks like. We need a new perspective. And this passage gives it to us. And so we go to God and we say, God, help me in the power of your spirit with the encouragement and accountability of your people to know what it really means to love life and to see good days. Help me to have your perspective on loving life and seeing good days. Help me to keep my mouth shut when I need to. Help me to bless instead of curse. Help me to look from your perspective into eternity at the blessing that will come when I'm finally given that grace that Jesus is bringing with him when he's revealed. God, help me to look at real, true, good days and loving life that way. And finally, El Roy. 
Elect, evil, excellent, and El Roy. Genesis 16.13, a lady named Hagar has been sent out into the desert with her only boy because her boy happens to be the only person who might be able to take the blessing away from Abraham and Sarah's boy, Isaac. She goes out into the desert and she's prepared to die and to let her boy die with her because they can't find any water. And the scripture says that the Lord opened her eyes and she saw a well there. And so in Genesis 16, 13, so she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her and she says, you are a God of seeing, El Roy. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Oh church, I want us to see God as the God who looks after me, as the God who looks after us in the midst of turmoil and evil being spoken against us and evil being done to us, He is still the God who looks after me. He is a God of seeing. He is still El Roy. He sees you in your current situation. He hears the diagnosis. He knows what's up the road. He knows that trouble's coming. He knows everything about 2023. And let me tell you what, bad things could happen to you in 2023. I'm going to go out on a limb and say bad things are going to happen to you in 2023. Not only bad things, but it's not all sunshine and unicorns. And in the midst of it all, God sees. And His eyes are upon you for your good, to keep you, to bless you, to sustain you, and to empower you to hang on the cross if you need to. And He sees it all. How does it affect you to know that God's face is upon those who do good and that His face is against those who do evil? As you watch the news reports, and they're awful, God's face is against those who do evil. Two things I hope that does for us. I hope that encourages us that nobody's going to get off unpunished for the evil that they do unless they receive the grace of God for the forgiveness of their sins. Evil's going to be punished But also, does it move us to be more compassionate, pleading with God for the evildoers? Because He sees it. He is the God who sees. Know that as we go into this coming year. Know that. I hope we knew that going into 2020, which was just a big cluster bomb that went off, right? God saw all that. And He's seen everything before that, and He's seen everything since that. He is the God who sees. So we conclude talking about the good life. Loving the brothers, the elect. Blessing evildoers, the evil. Knowing this excellency of this good life. Knowing that God is Elroy, the God who sees. Loving the brothers, blessing evildoers. Knowing God is superintending it all. Doing what He does for His own glory for the good of those around us and for our own good. And everything is arcing toward a final victory over all evil. And there is blessing and obedience to the God who sees. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to change our minds 
to change our perspectives, and to know what it really means to love life and see good days. Help us to love the brothers. Help us to bless those who do and speak evil against us. Help us to know that this is our best life now, but that our true best life is coming in eternity with you. And that you are superintending every single molecule, every single atom, every single millisecond of it all. In it all, you are the God who sees. You see the evil, and your eyes are upon those whom you have inclined their hearts to you. And we rest knowing that you are El Roy in 2023 and for all eternity. Thank you for your word. Help us to be doers of it and not hearers only. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive the first benediction of this new year? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, now to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can. We're going to have pizza that's not here yet, I don't think. So be patient and bless.